love coming here. It's lovely to be with you, especially on such a lovely occasion where we've got Matt and Lydia with us. It's really nice. It's great to be here. So, um, oops. Okay. The title you've given me this morning is, Are You Walking the Talk? And um, I started to pray about what God might want me to say with that. And I woke up one morning with part of a verse so clear in my mind. And it is the verse, until Christ is formed in you. And the thing is that God wants us to look like Jesus, to sound like Jesus, to do the same things that Jesus did. He wants us to be full of grace, full of forgiveness and to accurately present what Jesus is to other people. And so when we become Christians, God's Spirit comes to live on the inside of us, and he starts to work in us, in our hearts, to change us. And in my own life and in a lot of other people's lives that I know, that change is quite slow. And there are times where we get a bit frustrated with ourselves. But Holy Spirit, is on our case from the minute we become a Christian. And he's trying to change us from the inside out, which is really awesome. So today, I really feel like God wants us to look at Paul's letter to the Galatians and see what we can learn about walking the talk and of Christ being formed in us. So let's pray. God, we just thank you this morning that you are here. Holy Spirit, you are here with us. And I pray this morning that you'll soften our hearts and that you'll help us, Lord, that we would just hear something this morning which will bring us to a new level of freedom, a new level of knowing what it really is like to walk like Jesus walked and to talk like he talked. God, we want to be like you. Just open our hearts this morning. May we receive all that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Paul wrote his letter. Shall I have the clicker thing? Have you got a clicker thing? (laughs) You've got the clicker thing. Oh, sorry, I thought, okay. (laughs) Okay, right. Oh, back. So, Paul wrote his letter to the Christians in Galatia. And Galatia is a region in Turkey that it's uh, what we know as Turkey these days. Paul went there and he preached the good news about the new birth and forgiveness in Jesus alone. And from this, churches were begun in the southern cities of Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, which was Timothy's hometown, and Derby. And you can find all about this in Acts, but we're not going to look at that today. And later, Paul made two follow-up visits as well. But the thing that drove Paul to write this particular letter was his great dismay that the Galatians, who he'd set up, leaving them, knowing that the only way they can have freedom is in Christ is through what Jesus did on the cross and nothing else. They'd had some visits since he last came by some other people who said, well, actually, you've got to do more than that. You can't just sit back. You've got to be proper in your relationship with God. You've got to, the men have got to be circumcised. And everyone else has got to follow the law because the law was given so that we would know exactly what God wants us to do. And so Paul was in dismay because he knew 
He knew that there's only one way to be right with God, and that is through what Jesus did on the cross. It added to the gospel. And Paul understood that we've been redeemed from the law. We don't have to live under it anymore. We've been redeemed from the law, and we've been set free to follow the Holy Spirit and what he shows us. And so he's really writing, he writes a really passionate letter. This is the time where he writes the most passionately because he so didn't want them to go backwards. He wanted them to go forwards with God. And he says, the whole verse says, My dear children, from whom, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you and change my tone now and change my tone because I'm perplexed about you. He can't believe that they've started with grace and they've gone back to works. Why would you do that? And he writes, this is the letter of all Paul's letters where he writes really strongly and passionately. You won't find him writing like this in any of his other letters. And if you've got your Bibles, turn to Galatians chapter 3 and you'll see what I mean. Galatians chapter 3, starting at verse 1. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again I ask, does and work miracles among you by the works of the law, or by your believing what you heard? Do you see how strongly he's writing? You won't find that in any other of the letters. And he was upset because they had started so well. They'd been doing miracles, signs and wonders. They were flowing in the Holy Spirit and then they were told they had to add something, their own human effort. So the results were really clear and they're not happy results at all. They had lost their joy. There's a very nice glum face. (laughs) Paul writes, Paul writes, What has happened to all your joy? And the word for joy there is interesting because it's very closely linked to in the Beatitudes where Jesus says, blessed are the poor and so on. Because this is that sense of well-being, that sense of God in your life that's so satisfying and so fulfilling. And they'd lost their joy. God wants us to have joy in our life. He wants us to feel fulfilled. And when we start to follow the law and we get all tied up with what we've got to do, should, must, ought to, have to, we lose our joy and it all becomes about legalistic things. What do I do? Not who am I in God. And then they'd lost their freedom. 
Paul writes, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. He says, you, my brothers, you're called to be free. They lost it. Satan loves it when we are not free. He loves it when we're heavy and burdened and weighed down with trying to please God and work hard and do things in our own strength. He loves it because we'll get burnt out and we'll never achieve all that the Holy Spirit wants us to achieve. I just want to ask you this morning, are you actually living out of the freedom that Jesus died to give you? Then they had become slaves in their relationship with God. He says them, he's trying to get them to know that they're not slaves, they're sons. And if you turn to Galatians 4, I'm just going to read from 4 to 7 here. When the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, (coughs) God sent the spirit (coughs) of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out Abba, Daddy, Father, So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. God wants us to know him as our dad. He wants us to know him not as a slave driver, not as someone who is going to come and put burdens on us and restrict us. And stop us from having full life. Jesus said that he'd come, that we can have life and have it in all its fullness. That's what God wants. As we connect to him, as we connect to him, we can have that real freedom. And we're not slaves. We're sons. Sons of God. It's really important. And the way they use sons is really important. In In that sense, we're all sons, even us girls, because we have an inheritance. And in the time the Bible was written, only the guys got an inheritance. The girls didn't. And God wants us to know you're all sons. We're all sons. And then fourthly, they were no longer following the Spirit. He says, after beginning with the Spirit, Are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? It's not about trying really hard. He wants them to know that. He wants them to know that if we walk in step with the Spirit, we will do all that God wants us to do, just like Jesus did. Jesus said he, Jesus was always led by the Spirit. He didn't do one thing off his own back. He was always led by the Spirit. Look what it says. Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. That's by the Holy Spirit. So those were all the things. I just want to ask you this morning, do you... Let Holy Spirit show you what to do. Or are you working it all out yourself according to a set of rules? As I was preparing this in the week, I felt really strongly 
that God wants you to know that there's not one thing you can do to make him pleased with you because he already is. Because we're in Christ, he is pleased with us. And what did he say to Jesus before he'd done one thing, before he'd done one miracle or saved one person or healed one person? He said, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. God is pleased with us because we're in Jesus. And I felt as I was preparing this that there are some people and you're beating yourself up because you just don't come up to your own standards of what you feel you should be. And I felt like God was saying, please stop beating yourself up. It's all done. It's all done. It was all taken care of on the cross. Just receive and believe and accept the freedom that I'm longing to give you. And I feel like God is saying what Paul wrote to the Galatians, to you too, my dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth till Christ is formed in you. God wants us to be free. He wants us to live by that spirit of Christ on the inside of us until Christ is formed in you. He wants us to look like Jesus and sound like Jesus and do all the things Jesus did. And Paul says this really key thing. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Faith and love. Faith and love. God is, cares so much more about our motives, our heart, than he does about us doing all exactly the right things. We can't actually, by ourselves, change our motivation for things. We can't do it. And sometimes I think God's laughing at us when we try. I remember one time I was going to a meeting and I hadn't been getting on awfully well with people that I was going to meet in the meeting. And I was pacing up and down and praying and I just said, Oh God, help me to be nice. And straight away I felt God was laughing and he said, so what does it say in the Bible about being nice? And I had to think, he knows I know my Bible quite well. Nice is not in the Bible. There's a lot about love though. There's a lot about agape, God's love, that, that love that lays its life down, that love that gives and gives and forgives and is generous and always gives. That love, there's a lot about that. If there's one thing we should have all learnt from the Old Testament is that we can't do it by ourselves. They had laws upon laws and explanations of laws. They had people who taught on the law. They read the law. They thought about their law. They had the law strapped to their foreheads. It was all about law and yet not one of them could fulfill the real law that was behind all those laws, the law of love, to love our neighbours with God's love, agape love. Not just your kind of being nice love. I don't think God really likes that word. I got that feeling that day. He doesn't like the word nice. 
It's just not in his vocabulary. It's too neutral. Love is not neutral. It's not passive. It's absolutely a giving thing. So, in the book of Galatians, it tells us why people go backwards. Think, why would they go backwards? If they're working all these miracles, if they're seeing people come to faith, what on earth would make them go backwards? Lots of keys in this particular book. First of all, Paul talks about people-pleasing. We do love people-pleasing, don't we? We do like it when people like us, and when they don't like us, it's quite hard. But Paul writes, Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I still trying to please people? If I was still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of God. People-pleasing is not a good emotion, People-pleasing makes us do things that actually we shouldn't be doing or don't really want to do. And there's one really linked to that, fear of what people think. In chapter 2, we read that Paul is saying, Peter used to eat with the Galatians and people like them. He used to eat with Gentiles. And because he feared what other people think, the Jewish believers would think, he actually began to draw back from them. That's quite amazing, isn't it? Peter, who walked on the water, he had an an Achilles heel, and it was fear of what people think. That's what drove him to deny Jesus, wasn't it? The three times before Jesus died, people-pleasing. Oh, no, I don't know Jesus. Been with him every day for three years. People-pleasing is dangerous. Fear of what people think is dangerous. And so is human effort. Where he says, after beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? What, What would make someone go back to working just out of human effort? I was thinking about that and I thought, is it just the need to control everything? Because when you're led by the Spirit, you're not in control anymore. You're under God's control. Human effort isn't fun, but at least you can control what you do and what you don't do. Control isn't going to help any of us get any closer to God and it's not going to help anyone come into the kingdom either. And then he talks about trying to be justified by the law. What makes it so difficult to believe that the cross is enough? That what Jesus did on the cross, that every sin we committed before we became a Christian and every sin we commit after we become a Christian, it's all been dealt with on the cross. Every single one of them. Is it because we don't like to be helpless and dependent on God? What is it? that makes us try to be justified by the law. And then competition. It's interesting if you read in chapter 5, because right at the end, um, am I thinking of chapter 5? Chapter 5, verse 15, Paul says, If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. 
We don't want to be in competition with people. We need to just be, just be cool being ourselves. Just be cool being ourselves. And linked to that, comparing ourselves to other people. Isn't that what we're so hard about Facebook and everything? Because people want to present themselves in their best possible light. And they compare themselves to other people. And other people compare themselves to them. And then everyone gets into a thing of, well, either people are so much better than me or they're so much worse than me. One or the other, and neither is true. We're all equal in God's eyes. Competition, comparing ourselves to other people. Number seven, wanting to make a good impression outwardly, just like the scribes and the Pharisees. Wanting people to think that we're really good. We're really good people. Then there's fear of being persecuted. That comes up as well. Paul says that the people who were trying to get all the men circumcised were doing it in order to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. It was just so unpopular to believe that Jesus had done it all and we don't need to add anything to it. And finally, what it all comes down to really is pride. Verse 6, chapter 6, verse 12 says, Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to get circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. I don't think I'm reading quite the right bit just there. Verse 14 May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And the thing is, about all these things that we've been looking at, it makes it all about me. All about me, Jesus. Wonderful. So Paul ends up with telling them how we do it. How do we do it? How do we actually walk the talk? And he makes it really clear in chapter 5. He says, walk by the Spirit. If you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. If you are led by the Spirit, you're not under law. Live by the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Everything has to come out of our relationship with the Holy Spirit, just like Jesus. No other way works. What it leads to when we, get, when we try and live by our own strength, it leads to frustration. Paul talks about this, doesn't he? In Romans chapter 7, he says, no matter how hard I try, I end up doing the very things I don't want to do. The evil I do not want to do, I keep on doing. It's so frustrating. (laughs) It's amazing, isn't it? How, How we take so long to grasp quite a simple message. So, Paul goes on to say what the answer is in his own words. We just need Holy Spirit to lead us 
and show us how to do it. I love how, the, how um, it's put in the message. The law always ended up being used as a band-aid, that's the American for plaster, on sin instead of a deep healing of it. And now what the law code asked for, but what we couldn't deliver, is accomplished as we, instead of doubling our own efforts, please don't do that, simply embrace what the Spirit is doing in us. Isn't that awesome? I love that translation. It just makes it so clear. Nothing works like Holy Spirit. I'm so grateful to Holy Spirit. All we have to do is like walk in step with him, listening to him, doing what he says, looking at things through his eyes and with his perspective, just doing what he tells us to do. Simple, yes? He alone has the power to cleanse us. He alone has the power to show us what's what's inside of us and how it got there and how it needs to come out. I've been on a long journey with God, allowing him to just work in my heart. Keep showing me things, God. Show me where I'm short, falling short, and show me what caused that to happen. Help me, God. Help me to move on and be formed by you. Holy Spirit is always doing a new thing in us. He's always taking us somewhere new in our own, in our own person in places that we couldn't imagine where he could take us. All we've got to do is just keep in step. I don't know if you've ever tried a three-legged race, (laughs) but it depends on both walking together quite determinedly, quite on purpose. See, if we don't keep in step with Holy Spirit, he just goes He's just not going to be around someone who doesn't want to go the way that he's going. If you're pulling over here and Holy Spirit is going, I need you to come this way, he will just go because he's not going to drag you. He's not going to force you to do anything you you aren't ready to do. We just need to keep in step with him. And it does mean that we won't know where we're going. It does mean that we'll be out of our depth sometimes. But isn't those, aren't those out of our depth times, times when God shows us the most? So who's in charge? Who's leading your life? Is it you or is it the Holy Spirit? Paul's place of freedom. This is what Paul says about how he describes the place he found of rest and trust in God. I tried keeping rules and working my head off to please God, and it didn't work. So I quit being a law man so that I could be God's man. Christ's life showed me how and enabled me to do it. I identified myself completely with Christ. My ego is no longer central. There's our place of problem. Our ego is our place of problem. My ego is no longer central. It's no longer 
important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion and I'm no longer driven to impress God. Christ lives in me. The life you see me living is not mine but it is lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm not going to go back on that Amazing, isn't it? I, I love that translation. It just kind of makes it a bit clearer than some of the ways that we've read that as we've grown up. We used to sing a song in the old church that I grew up in, and the song went, It is not try, but trust, which was a funny thing, really, because in that particular church, there was so much try, it was unbelievable. But the truth was, it is not try, but it's trust. Trust in God. Trust in what Jesus has already done on the cross for us. We can't add to it. When we go to heaven, we're not going to take a whole load of stuff that we've done and lay that at Jesus' feet and say, there, looking proud. We're going to just be there. God, thank you that you saved me. Thank you, Jesus, that you gave your life for me. We're not going to be impressing God with our stuff, what we've done. He does want to know, until Christ has been formed in you, has Christ been formed in you, in your life? I love this. I'm finishing with this from Smith Wigglesworth. Because he was a man who saw the power of God move in an absolutely amazing way. He's just an ordinary Yorkshireman until he got filled and baptised with the Holy Spirit. Couldn't even preach, stuttered all over the place when he tried to preach until he got baptised in the Holy Spirit. And then he saw so many amazing things. This is what he says. This is how he ticked. We want our whole being to be so full of the life of our Lord that the Holy Spirit can speak and act through us. We want to live always in him. All the charm of his divine plan. We cry out for the inspiration of the God of power. We want to act in the Holy Spirit. We want to breathe out out divine life. We want glory, miracles and wonders that work out the plan of the Most High. We want to be absorbed by God. And we want to know nothing among men except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Unto you, O God, be the glory and the honour and the power. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you that you have saved us. You have redeemed us by the blood of Jesus. That we stand complete in you. That we're your children. That us, And you say, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. God, what an honour to be called your child. And Lord, we want you, Holy Spirit, to come and form Christ on the inside of us. That we look like you, that we accurately present you to the world in all your love and all your grace, all your power, all the miracles, Lord, that you want us to be involved in. God, you just want us to be so full of you 
that you overflow in our lives wherever we go. And Lord, we recognize (laughs) we're not quite there yet, but we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you never give up on us. And as we continue to give more of our lives over to you, we pray that you will fill us more and that you will be seen in us and that people will see that Christ is formed in us. Thank you, God, for all that you've done. Thank you, it's all about you and it's not about us at all. Thank you for delivering us from having to try, from having to try and be good, try and please you, try and get everything right. God, we're human, we're not going to get everything right. You've delivered us from that. Thank you, God. Help us, Lord, this morning. And if there's anyone who's still like feeling that they're hard on themselves, that they're judging themselves, that they're beating themselves up, may they, Lord, just take those burdens to the cross and actually leave them there and not pick them up again. Lord, just would you come this morning, just fill us afresh. Holy Spirit, would you fill us? Make us like Jesus, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.